we're live. We're live. Bears. We're live. Okay, sorry. I'll, I'll start here. Good everybody, what's up? It is Rebet. Welcome to Rebet Live. Joined by T3W Executive Director and the bro, Barry Suda. How are you, mate? Uh, in the native dialect of the Tairafti Gisborne, Kaite which means I'm still alive and kicking. Mate, um, I'm sorry we we're a couple minutes uh, late. You were chairing a very important board meeting just before, so I appreciate appreciate the time. Uh, where are you specifically? What's going on? How's the bubble? Obviously, if you're on the coast, I'm sure the isolation parameters are probably a little bit different to the middle of Queen Street. How are you holding up? <laughs> uh, well, I shifted down to Gisborne on, um, in mid-January, right into that deep heat of 38 degrees Celsius. So, um, And then the lockdown you know, happened and... So the reality is, I haven't actually had a chance to get out in the in the local community and region. Um, so it's, it's the funniest situation I've ever run across. Where I've been months on the ground and I don't know much. Mate, um, many people give the region shit for many things. What I will say is, you are already crushing it with your interconnection, high speed fiber. Because out of all the streams you've had your face has never looked so close to me as such before through, <laughs> through technology. So well done. Well, you, you could thank uh, you could thank Apple for their iPhone technology and uh, Chorus and Vodafone for their there you go. fiber network. Get get the plug. We've had um, Ed Hydon from from Chorus, the the chief customer officer, and then Vodafone. We've also had Jason Power, so we're, we're right in the mix there. Um, for those who aren't aware of uh, what you do, how you roll, and where you fit within the ecosystem, just give a, a quick top line, then we can get kicked off. Yeah, so uh, what T3W is about is about connecting the Māori tech uh, ecosystem. So the, the real big challenge, and it's not just the Māori problem, this is a mainstream problem in the country, is that uh, the ability for, uh, you know, to generate entrepreneurship in the tech space is, is really challenged. And it's challenged on uh, a couple of fronts. One is um, access to uh, uh, know who and, uh, and then access to know how. And, uh, you know, one of the biggest parts of know-how is, um, uh, is access to, to capital and that sort of thing. So if you're a startup uh, in regional New Zealand, uh, knowing who to go to and solve the problem and um, you're getting good, clear definition on that problem is really difficult. And then connecting to people who could help you is, is, is challenging, you know. There's no one single – so an ecosystem is a mix of 500 organisations in the country um, – and, and there's no one uh, purveyor that pulls all of that together in the country. Yeah, the it's always tricky to try and be the glue when things are so like fragmentedly aligned but logistically dispersed, right? Like it's always just such a funky one how to navigate it. So maybe we'll start off here. How have you felt? What do you feel is the biggest fear that you have for New Zealand at this exact moment when it comes to tech, export, commerce at the moment? Well, well the irony is uh, I hold no fear around uh, the current situation uh, other than as health issues, um, but I see it as, as the most amazing opportunity. And uh, so my only fear is that we don't act quick enough to take advantage of the opportunities that COVID is offering. Uh, so all of the challenges that we had prior to COVID around how you... Uh, build a tech economy in regional New Zealand um, still stand, but the opportunity is even better because of COVID. How 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 so? Because you know we've talked about um, 
you know, tech being, I think it was the you know, second biggest um, export, going to be uh, number one, I think, within 18 months or something. From now, obviously, when everyone's gone virtual, it's been, it's almost flattened the playing field for how businesses can operate. Um, where, you know, exactly to your point, you got iPhone, Voda, Fiber, you're away laughing and the game sort of change. How do you think this is, this is going to shift the mindset from decision makers or people in business or, or boards and CEOs of how they, I guess, approach setting up their businesses potentially moving forward and what that means for either employee retention or, or just commerce yes yeah, so there's I, I i think you break the the issues up into short mid and long term and so the the short term problem is really job um retention and and support for for people who are about to lose jobs and that sort of thing but the biggest challenge that and, and really that job creation piece comes out of companies being able to operate the biggest problem is, and with 90, 90 plus percent of new zealand businesses being SMEs, is their ability to connect to markets and uh, uh you know there's a huge proportion you know 40 percent of companies SMEs, just don't have a digital engagement platform mm. um so that that's the the first and most obvious tech uh place to go to uh and then the other big problem is that uh you know our our ability to scale was was challenged anyway as individual SMEs. So the opportunity is actually now to uh, form coalitions of the willing and bringing uh, you know a number of like-minded parties together in a particular sector uh, to create that kind of scale around you know product uh, development and that sort of thing. So I think there's some really immediate <clears throat> needs that everybody has around tech. Uh, not to mention the fact that uh, everybody's immersed in tech right now. Yeah. How, how do you, you just talking about, you know, coalition and, and speed, have you noticed a, a dramatic increase in comms opportunity execution and decisions being made in business over this last month that you hadn't seen any time before? Yeah, absolutely. I'm embedded. <laughs> I, I, I'm really immersed in one right now. So um, if you think about how you uh, want to connect a tech ecosystem, uh, it comes down to two bits, parts. It comes down to, uh, having enough people in your network that 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 uh of the same mind that can come together and and um share their ideas around how they could coalesce um and because everybody's just doing back-to-back -back zooms um you're not asking anything particularly new of them to be able to grab an hour and 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 get them together the other thing that COVID's done is gone and uh, really reinforced uh, our purpose, uh, you know, as a country and as a people and, and regionally. We, there is no conversation that doesn't come up with the C word and everybody is wanting to try and think about uh, legitimate and authentic solutions that can make contribution to solving the, the current crisis. So, you know, you really have uh, a, a goodwill and commitment uh, to get on and actually explore these things. And, and um, I mean, don't want to use the word fast fail, but people want to test the ideas really quickly and move on to the, to the next one. So it isn't a hard proposition to get a group of people together because we're, the purpose today is actually quite no. clear. Yeah, exactly. On the, I mean, we had um, Vic Crown here a, a while ago and she was literally saying, you know, I've, it's surprising to, to, to show how fast businesses can actually move when they really want to. And then you wonder like, so, okay, well, if the handbrake's gone off now and we've got a, this whole new world of potential opportunity with, with commerce of, of interconnection to the world and stuff, how that actually will, will play out 
in it because there's obviously going to be these a uh, very reactionary moment right now with safety and security of businesses and staff and in HR but then there's going to be this new world of of commerce and and um, how businesses operate and what systems they use and just this entire new there's going to be a new world of it in in your head right now what's your what's your take on what you think the biggest shifts that we will see in terms of how traditional business was done pre-covid pc into after covid ac uh, well, one project I'm working on is uh, leveraging the leveraging COVID in the sense of um, it, it, so so I've been working in a number of regions uh, around the country pre-COVID, and everybody was talking before uh, COVID around how do we how do we bring a tech economy into our area into our region. Um, a tech economy, and their definition was one where. Uh, it's not about an individual company just doing its own thing and, and building success and selling, but it was about how do they coalesce um, a greater uh, uh, movement amongst uh, the, the wider region around tech and supporting tech. What COVID's gone and done is actually just gone and accelerated that. So the, the, the irony is we're not doing anything new. Now, the other key part to that is I think uh, – so. so so there's the first one is digital engagement. So everybody needs a digital engagement platform. So uh, that's the first thing. Second thing they are all looking for is tech that can help productivity around the social distancing and, and, and those sorts of things. Then the third thing, which is, I think, something that um, is the opportunity, is if we are now remote and distant um, in terms of business development and creation, then our network can be much, much larger than it used to be. So give you an example. Yesterday morning I was on a, on a call with a couple of Silicon Valley cats and uh, talked to them about a project in Gisborne. And uh, they turned around and said, uh, get us the proposal on that uh, opportunity. Uh, not only will we um, endorse it, um, but uh, we will actually look to shifting to Gisborne to uh, be a part of that project. And... The key thing I'm starting to see is that there's there was this appetite before COVID, but COVID's now gone and just raised the stakes higher. And that's the idea mm. about purpose. So what people are looking for is high purpose projects. So so you know, when your life is threatened, you know, you start sort of considering what's really important in life. Yeah, the um the openness and willingness for a lot more of those decision makers at a global level, it's becoming very clear that um, they're seeing the world with maybe different different lenses at speed of what can actually be done. Um, I was just thinking about we had um, Clive Omerad on the show, which who, who was uh, the CEO of uh, Les Mills, right? Twenty five thousand things around the world, yada yada yada, and he was saying, you know, th their strategy didn't change one bit. All that happened is it got um, extremely accelerated from a three-year plan to probably you know like a three-day or a three-week plan um which was really interesting just to see the thinking of certain organizations already can see where that world looks like and i think maybe until this moment with covid new zealand potentially hasn't seen it for the regions it's very much the regions f have felt and have been dismissed as a very kind of like the unwanted stepchild like piss off you go in, in the corner type thing and it what's become pretty empowering and become very clear is not only is um, the regions having a bit more of a play in a situation like this, every single region's got almost the same platform if it's all virtual as 
you know, the anyone in, in the major city. So the only query I was I was gonna I was gonna ask the only probably question I was gonna say if I was in the Silicon Valley crew would be like, send me a screen grab of your of your speed net dot your speed test dot net thing just to see what your uploads are, and then we're good. As long as I've <laughs> yeah, got yeah. that, stuff yeah. everything else. No, that's, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Um, the irony was uh, last year I was asked by a uh, health tech company up in Silicon Valley to put together a 90-second pitch video that promoted Gisborne, and they were going to use that in the investment pitch for the next uh, cap race, and they said because they would be able to evidence to their investors where they were going to spend, and while people is people is the highest cost in the business, these guys were uh, competing with uh, Google and Netflix for, for tech deep staff at the senior level, half a million dollar US package per individual, but what they were able to do then would be to offer uh, uh, 10 of their staff to come and live in Gisborne uh, to enjoy lifestyle and all those things, yada, yada, yada. Um, uh, and, I mean, here's the craziest thing. The idea was um, walking out of the house down the beach 400 metres in the sand barefoot to the office. Yeah. So on that exact point, there was a company that came through Colab and they had investment from uh, some pretty heavy-hitting crew, including uh, an ex-Google guy. And they were doing their next round and raise and they did this whole thing and then they went to the board and the board came back and said, um, you will not come to Silicon Valley, and this is from Silicon Valley Money, uh, and you will stay in New Zealand and you will grow it there. You you started local, you can go global and there's no reason you can stay. And this is before people were even talking about it. And I was like, why would Silicon Valley investors not want you in Silicon Valley? That's where it is. And and then straight up they're like, um, better better lifestyle living, higher retention rate for the, for, for the staff, let cheaper rent anywhere that you, that you go to. And it's a and there's a lot there's a massive chance of what happens as soon as you get to the valley that talent just gets taked across and the IP goes. So it's actually a defensive play plus an offensive ninja move for any of the stuff that works within it. So that what was seen as the, we were just talking about before um, with uh, Pete Gluckman was what was seen before as almost like a liability to the world of being so far away and disconnected is now one of the biggest assets because it's escapism, it's safety, it's green, it's future. So I think maybe it leads straight to the next thing. The, the, Messaging from a nation to the world is going to be massively important for this next piece with how that 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 brand narrative around what New Zealand is. Because at the moment, you know, I, we had um, Sir Peter Gluckman on before. He was saying, you know, we are at this very moment the world's safest place, and in terms of commerce and stuff, we have now become that. So, how do you, if if, if in your eyes now, how do you see it? for New Zealand to really, really, really capitalise on the opportunity that we have in terms of commerce for the, for this country? Well, a couple of things. The irony is none of the way we're approaching things pre-COVID have, have changed. The reality is that the two major things that we've got here uh, certainly is uh, lifestyle, um, and then the other aspect is talent. And mm. a lot of people underestimate uh, you know, our talent in the tech sector here in New Zealand. Um, you know, we, we've got famous, you know, tech ex exits up into Silicon Valley and that sort of thing, and they get all the attention. They do skew it a little bit, but um, uh, in terms of this perspective overseas. But we have an a, a amazing golden opportunity right now to sell New Zealand as, uh, you know, a major talent attraction. And that's what we need. You know, when I talk about talent, I'm talking about not only the skills in tech, but also the, you know, the opportunity for investment. Um, you, 
what 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 you're starting to hear is uh, you know when people get stressed uh, you know around the health issues and that sort of thing security and that sort of thing food security then they start talking about you know allocating time resource and capital uh, to those to, to solutions that can you know help address those sorts of issues so mm-hmm. that won't last forever so you know we've got to we've got to really work on capturing that right now and I, I really think um, I really think that uh, New Zealand's got a great opportunity to sell itself as that, uh, you know, safety in the world, but smart enough to be able to be stay connected and make a contribution solutions wise into some significant sectors globally. Yeah, it's New Zealand's having a moment, hey, because basically as soon as everyone else comes online, it's going to be it'll flatten back out again, and there becomes more option and, and the rest of it. What, what do you think the the, the best smartest fastest way or thing new zealand could do right now to open up the floodgates for international opportunity and talent well in the past you know pre-covid we were really good at um as individual smes at you know um in our own go-to-market uh play and that sort of thing i think the real opportunity now is to form coalitions um you know, get 10 companies together that are of like mind, like values and in the same sector and work out how you can scale uh, your your product service uh, in a, a deeper way, uh, you know, more functionality in, in your product or service and uh, utilise a combination of all your networks to, you know, to get better traction uh, up in market and that sort of thing. So I think, I think uh, it makes sense since we're a SME country, make those SMEs hit, hit punch punch harder and higher. Yeah. When it when it comes to tech, it's one part of the market. Then when it, when it comes to culture within it, it's a very small slither of it, right? At a macro, for those who don't um, realize or are aware of where Māori um, Māori sit within tech, what's the current state of play, and what's the opportunity for Māori within within the space? Uh, well, at the moment, Māori comprise a very small proportion of all tech uh, companies, tech founders, uh, tech talent. Uh, but the opportunity is uh, has a much lower sort of threshold uh, for us to enter uh, that sector. And then, secondly, you know, given that it's a relatively weightless. Um, kind of sector in terms of you know the amount of asset you need to actually build a company um our ability to be able to build um uh enterprise and companies is is much faster there is no doubt in 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 government circles at the moment that the uh way out of uh uh, economic recovery from COVID is must be tech-led yeah and so there it is my message which is you heard that uh, is that what they're they're actually saying Yes, I'm. Uh, I'm on a. I'm on a panel or two, and uh, and I've got colleagues who are on uh, other panels. There's a clear statement uh, within government that uh, the the way out of the the COVID crisis is is uh, in terms of economic recovery must be tech led, and that's primarily mm. because if you have a look at the industries that have shut down, you know, a major major sector was tourism. That's toast. Um, uh, manufacturing is is shut down for the moment. Uh, international education that's gone. Um, you know, we've got our primary sector and that sort of thing, but that primary, our primary sector wasn't going to wasn't going to increase in asset anyway. You know, there's no more land yeah. being created. There's there's only so much 
um, product you can create on land. So, you know, ability to, to be led by uh, primary sector commodity uh, is not, uh, hasn't changed from pre-COVID to post-COVID. So the only way out is going to be, you know, uh, digital engagement um, uh, in the weightless economy, and it's us. Yeah. If you look at the total GDP for the entire nation, take away all the other stuff that's been smoked, we're not going to get back up there exactly to your point with unscalable resource, right? So it's a very simple thing of even at the max, we might get, you know, a, a 10 or 20% totally if we blew it all out of the water, but it's still um, unscalable. It's not weightless, not global, not to a million different pieces. So I've, so you go. You, you gonna say yeah, and, and that's exactly the point. The, the key, though, is, you know, tech's just such a wide term. I mean, people mm. always ask me, why do I use the word tech? And I don't talk about digital or I don't talk about software. And I said, because tech covers everything. It covers every sector. So if you think about productivity in, uh, in, in the agriculture and horticulture sector, uh, we ain't going to create any more land. And we're, we're driving production on, the, on, on those same square meterage as hard as we can with all the latest science, all the latest uh, chemistry and all those sort of things. There's not, not a lot more we can do there. The, the productivity, though, can be tech-driven solutions. So that we've got to yeah. be really clear around which sectors we want to uh, play in. I've been thinking about this idea of um, it's not it's not the right word and it's got a lot of brand um, stuff that needs to happen to it. But this idea of a Corona campus or a COVID campus where at the end of this, either government or councils or FIP and someone, I mean, I've got an idea of how I think it could work of the biggest sectors that have been hit the most. Cool. Get the smartest young brains that you know, the, um, the Callahan just did the big, um, the, the hackathon over, over the weekend, right? How do you get all of them in the same room after this funded by council or corporates or government to be able to prov provide, um, create IP and products and solutions for the problems which we've now created out of this? Because there is a huge wave I see coming in the, it's like COVID has made everyone go from online to online, whether you like it or not. To jump back into unscalable resource to try and build us back up isn't going to work. So, okay, now that we've made this big jump, before we can drive forward and thrive, I guess, we need to fix all the holes in the boat with all these different things that are wrong now digitally before we can have these solid foundations. So I'm just thinking as a collective, I really hope there's some bigger thinking to pull the right brains in the flipping room to create the products and services which which could go out and we were talking to um, ian taylor last week and he's man he's such a flipping g he goes none of the stuff again let go and whatever crazy idea that you've wanted to work on forever but we've been too busy with all the other million things go to town and you've got till december go nuts and he's sitting there knowing exactly to you to your point baz is it's like well i'm going to create all this ip that's weightless that's digital that's global I'm going to commercialize this shit and just even just thinking of the mindset around if i'm a services-based business fine park that shit for a second if i go into product and ip and become globally scalable and, and and sellable all of a sudden i've almost pivoted in a business from services to product one is one-to-one -one unscalable and one can go to flipping world so i think it's just the mindset of how ceos and decision makers and business leaders are actually thinking about the opportunity at hand is that is that i mean do you mess with that is that kind of the right way of thinking or i'm missing something uh, well, I, th I think you're absolutely right that there's uh, disruption caused by COVID has uh, got to be seen in two sides. It's got to be seen in terms of product uh, product service, and then it's also got to be seen in terms of business model. Hmm. So, you know, the last crisis, GFC, you know, you had the birth of companies that none of us ever saw coming, like um, Airbnb, 
um, Uber, etc. Slack, yeah. Yep. So, so none of us really have any clarity. I was in a meeting the other day uh, here in Gisborne, where they called together a whole group of so-called leaders. And uh, interesting thing was, uh, you know, all took we all took a pretty fairly traditional approach of let's get the data, let's have a look at the data, let's see what that informs that. So, uh, I said, yeah, let's do that, but let's add to that uh, uh, intuition. And they said, what do you mean? And I said, well, crowdsourcing. I said, why do, with all the best data we can have today, that's only going to inform us on historical past. None of mm. us know, can really predict the future there really well. Younger people can. So to your point, the ability to crowdsource is actually a smart thing because what you can do there is we're only looking for the 10% that might win. Yes. We're not so we're yeah, not yeah, yeah. we're not we're not worried about ninety percent that's going to fall by the wayside because they should and they will. The catch with COVID is ninety percent are going to fail anyway right now. Mm, without you know, it, because they're, they're not going to survive. If ninety percent are going to fail, if only ten percent actually win, the IP and the products that get credited out of that ten percent will more than cover the ninety plus the other to go to the other ninety, not in New Zealand but potentially out. Right. That's the yeah, thinking. absolutely. And so, so to your point around, um, you know, getting young people in the room, and this, I'm a total supporter of that. You know, I've run three national, uh, three regional the hackathons. Uh, yeah. Hack, hackathons. Yeah, and uh, Hack Hawks Bay. We had one all ready to go, and it had really big legs uh, up in Auckland. That would have been the first Māori one in Auckland. That was significant through Tamaki Regeneration Project. Um, and, and I was completely blown away by the quality of the problems that were being presented and the caliber of the talent that was signing up to come in, uh, you know, join join that one. Um, and that was part of our strategy was to help uh, initiate uh, a large Māori innovation centre in Auckland that the, all the regional Māori innovation centres could then connect into. Yeah, it's... You think about the moments of like where there's all this opportunity, how you um, sort of engage with it. Because I, I was thinking about the the and the answer. It finally got answered this year, and it got answered by Jolie Hodson, and it came up as a pop thing when I'd been asking for ages. The Treaty of Waitangi brought together culture and community. Right, everyone can agree on it. Cool, culture, community, boom. And since that point, what was the moment that brought together culture, community, and commerce? And there hasn't actually been a thing. The, the closest one that, that we got to, and I asked, I've asked Fip and everyone, is the closest that we got to was when the All Blacks play. And and it was, you know, 7.35 on a, a Saturday night. And it's, but ironically enough, we then lead with culture at the front of it. And I was kind of say, okay, well, that's a moment on the Saturday, but there's actually, that, that's commerce, but that's not every single Kiwi as as one that probably just wins by default because it's a thing that we feel togetherness or or a you know Rob Campbell talks about this unity of purpose, and we were talking about it and I was asking her and then I was like wait a second I was like holy shit, COVID is that moment since the Treaty of Waitangi that is now connected, flipping culture, community and commerce all three in one and it becomes okay, so now if it and, and I've been thinking about this idea of you know the new New Zealand or this new Aotearoa what this could look like and I, I I've been thinking. You know, Treaty White Chicken brought us together. Dope. Now, with COVID, it becomes, well, now where are we going? What's that? Where is the path? Where is the, where is the future? And it's clear the future is on tech train tracks, and we're choosing what vehicles we build on top of it, right? Yep. And in, in your head, when you sort of hear that, how do you envisage 
what this new New Zealand could look like in terms of in terms of commerce, culture, and community. The uh, interesting thing is we're in the middle of a proposal right now uh, on that subject matter, and the literally put my name it, on it. I'm lit, in. Yeah, li- literally this morning, uh, the question was raised. Okay, um, you know what's what's the difference? What's the difference between this proposition that we're working on and any others? And it came down to being values and. Um, it was real interesting. I'm Māori, so here I had uh, non-Māori reflecting back to me what we intuitively express and live, and I needed that because uh, you know, like I don't have, I don't have a frame for these things. Uh, but you know, it, it might sound like it's um, stereotypical, but you know, Fanongatanga Manaki, those those core values, uh, are propositions that really set us apart in the global scene. And so I think, I think that's been, you know, I think that's been underestimated not only by us as Māori, but I think it's been underestimated because of, uh, you know, just, just our colonial history. Um, you know, even though, even though there's a certain amount of uh, service and commitment to, you know, the modern nation, uh, you know, uh, partnership, dual, uh, dual, dual sort of indigeneity and all those sort of things. Well, we well our problem here in New Zealand is we're remote, so we only talk to ourselves, and we're the worst people to talk to about how you present yourself and what the opportunity is globally. So mm. I can tell you that in terms of talking to the cats up in Silicon Valley, they see real power in those Maori values of Manaki and Fanongatanga, Fanongatanga in the sense of uh, you know using using your ability to connect to each other as the basis on and how you do a transaction, how you start mm. a relationship. Um, and and so I had to think about some of the non-Māori in our network and the way I positioned it was, hey, you live in this place, we love this place, we love each other. That's a cool way to think about it. Yeah, the, um, yeah I was just talking before about it as well, you know, uh, New Zealand was potentially known as, you know, at the end of the world and, and so far away from everything and totally disconnected and almost kind of talked down upon as a liability. And then funnily enough, we're now the strafest place in the world, got a bunch of assets, the biggest, you know, potential opportunity for, for all of us. And then the same thing I, I feel is happening with culture, right? And I don't want to go too crazy deep into it, but I for, for years, many have looked down, I guess, on culture in general, right? You know, um, the same... You know, I'm just going to give arguments sake the same token uh, racist old mate from the Wop Wops on f- Saturday night at 7:35 is feeling super proud to be like eh he whore to start with, but then on Monday morning he's like oh it's for Marys you know blah 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 blah, and it's it's quite interesting you watch how things start to tweak and change you know the, the job that Air New Zealand's done with how they've um, started to craft and, and create a, a narrative so many of the different. Um, uh, leaders leading with um, Maori, the the rise of Tereo, all these things, and it, it's got the same things that keep popping out. Where all of a sudden, what was seen as the liability is then potentially one of the biggest assets that differentiate yourself in the world. And especially when it comes to tech, right now when tech is so global, it's like, well, what's then the point of difference? And if you've got that that piece, that that cultural piece, like I kind of think of it like creativity. That I feel that culture, just like creativity, is going to increase in value and increase in assets and become such a differentiator because it now has legacy. And it's got consistency and a point of difference that actually becomes more about not necessarily the dollars, but the soul. So when I kind of put these pieces all together, then you're thinking like, well, 
You've got a nation which is now a huge asset. You've got a brand which is extremely valuable and a magnet. You've got a point of differentiation with culture and that's so tied with a more deeper love of each other for community. You kind of, I mean, you're obviously excited about it as well, but I can really see a, a, a huge wave of opportunity really led through culture and at the front for this new world and that kind of gets you kind of pumped because all of a sudden it's like all right boys now it's time let's go let's go you know what i mean <laughs> i i uh, landed here in gisborne right in, in mid-january and then covid started so i uh, got a uh, my neighbor is 87 years old old fella right so he was uh, he was young in uh, world war ii and uh, so I called out over feet. So I said, hey, mate, uh, is this lockdown, what's this lockdown feel like to you compared to World War Two? And he goes, this is way worse. So what you've got to do is have a think what that actually means. <clears throat> How so? It's, well, you know, it's a crisis. And he said when in World War Two, he was a young kid, right? So they weren't locked down, you know. Uh, they saw people disappear from the community in terms of young men going away to die in war, uh, <clears throat> uh, women going away to jobs uh, in the city or, or whatever, um, and mostly, you know, these remote communities were just old people and young people. And so he said, this is worse than my experience in World War II. Now, when I think about uh, crisis like World War II, have a look at what happened after a crisis like World War II. Lots of amazing new models for uh, living and operating came into being. The UN came mm. came into being. Israel, I mean, you know, despite what they're doing to the Palestinians, you know, birthed as a country, you know. And so a whole lot of people built and developed whole new ways of, of, of uh, you know, bringing value to the planet and that sort of thing. So what I'm saying is uh, it's inevitable. We've got that same opportunity right in front of us. What we've got to do is actually, it's all about speed to market. So, you know, our ability to get together and scale ourselves to actually take advantage of some of these opportunities is what we have to focus on. It's very well said, Baz. Um, uh, Ricky Manarangi says, shop Baz, top insights as always, brother. <laughs> um, and he says, uh, I'm working with a company in Hong Kong who specifically highlighted the values of culture and Mataranga. They were impressed with how we, Ara Journeys, are doing this and see real value in it. There you go. Point of difference, man. And uh, I'm here to uh, lead Timitu because I'm pretty sure that's who posted that. Yeah, there you go. Um, what do you think's held Māori back when it comes to business or tech with such a low engagement rate? You know, I, I was on, on the board of NZ Tech for a bit and looking at it. And I'm like, man, it feels like there's like 2% Māori maybe. I don't know what what what's the what's the holdback in in your I mean for me I've always I guess felt a little bit lonely when it comes to that that world for people my age um, it's changing a little bit now but yeah what do you think the holdback is old people so uh, <laughs> <coughs> so despite my grey hair I don't uh, count myself in that group no no the problem is uh, for the last thirty years we've been embedded in the Treaty of Waitangi process right so settlements coming out of that and then you know those settlement money's got uh, handed over to the tribes, but with certain um, uh, expectations uh, written into the statute for that uh, uh, for that uh, cash, and and then have a look at the kind of assets. So there were, you know, land and property and farms and that sort of thing. So who do they put on to the investment boards for each of those entities? Uh, usually the brown version of male pal style. 
and uh, ah. and these these cats, uh, average age, you know, 40, 46 years old, have never uh, developed a tech company in their life. Uh, wouldn't know a piece of code if it uh, dropped on their head, etc. Uh, the early experience of uh, you know tribes like Ngāti Tama lost $12 million out of their settlement, lost all of their settlement and uh, an investment into one company. So it wasn't the fact that it was invested in tech. It was, it was, the problem was that they weren't diversified and they put all the eggs into one basket. So uh, a sheer fear of the high risk that tech uh, presents, the fact that the average age of tech entrepreneurs is, is, is quite uh, young uh, means that these old people are not talking to them anyway. Um and so people, uh, you know, some of these investment committees, that they, they, they have the tactic of nobody got fired for buying Big Blue. Um, yep. And so they put their money into the farms and the product, production and commercial uh, commercial property and that sort of stuff. So uh, uh, that that's the challenge. And then, um, you know, then you get COVID and you talk to some of them, they go, oh, no, no, we're going to actually retain the jobs on the farms. You know, so just completely missing so it's 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 that's it, tough, that, right? That education piece is really tough. So what we recognised in T three W we need to do was bring some screen some uh, some uh, exemplars of success screaming and kicking uh, in front of them, so that uh, so that we affect FOMO, so that they go well. Chip, uh, that's a great tech uh, uh, opportunity that you're bringing in Gisborne um, or, or Waikato or, or Fakatane. Uh, how do we how do we get to leverage some of that success? Yeah, that's a that's such an you've touched on the point there because obviously within culture, young people can't really talk shit to the old crew anyway, right? Like that's what's in there looking at, it and actually, perfect example. I've told someone else this. You know how you got the the T three W text chain, right? I've been on that shit for like three years, and I've probably text maybe three things in the entire time and someone asked me oh it's always now hitters and shit and i'm like oh bro like i know my role man everyone's like the elder to me so i just gotta shut my face and do my shit girl i'm like that's how <laughs> that's how the world is and it was as ironic because then i'm thinking exactly to your point there like how many how, how many young like youth and the the business or this there's there's obviously that those decision makers at the top but there's also like how do you create those magnets to then pull pull more up so do you think like now say if you were to look at Mauridom, in general for New Zealand. Let's put the layer of culture, uh, commerce on top of it. Has there, I don't think there has been, but maybe you, you, you'd probably know better than me. Has there been a moment since the Treaty of Waitangi that all iwi as a collective have been together on the same thing commercially for something since the Treaty of Waitangi? Every single iwi? Mm, no. Uh, the best example would be fishing, but, but okay. not... Not all iwi went in together on that. So the the asset was shared amongst the iwi, but then the iwi took their asset and, and uh, you know, a lot of them uh, combined resources, but then, you know, some of the iwi just went off on their own um, investment strategies around, around that. But so, you know, fishing's kind of the nearest. Look, look what you're asking there is a question that, that's not really reflective of tech, but it's just reflective of the, the real difficulty of, um, of collaborating but Māori actually have a real advantage in collaborating because it comes a bit more naturally. Yeah, 
It's um we've got it. Michelle's just said uh, with COVID nineteen, with iwi investment companies have an app. Oh, will iwi investment companies have an appetite for investing local and into Maori SMEs, uh, create local jobs, local demand? So I'll jump and then you can go. So we had Sam Stubbs on the show from Simplicity KiwiSaver. Um, and he has about a $1.5 billion fund now, and he's talking about how do they start to shift some of their dollars locally. Hospitals, ecosystem, infrastructure, see it, feel it, touch it, kind of localize some of those investments. Um, what's your take with, with where you think this will go? Uh, at the end of the day, it still comes back to, to uh, it doesn't matter you know how great your idea is, it's going to be, um, is it investable? So, you know, the opportunity is around actually to, uh, developing quickly investable opportunities because nobody's going to put money into something that's just going to burn cash. Um, so that's our opportunity as, as a people is, is helping mature, you know, early stage ideas into uh, seed and investable uh, opportunities um, because the it's it there are still everybody will still apply the same matrix to making that investment decision yeah i don't think that that probably won't change the intent might be there but if people are still talking about how to get people back, back on farms if that's just one of them and not going deeper into other things it's probably still more a fear-based approach especially after all this risk um savannah ah yeah. oh, sav uh, hi barry and yes a bit more collaboratively indeed as we've seen at our hacks she's a good human <laughs> I miss she's her. a great she's a great lady and um really can't wait for you to get back to new zealand um before we go what are you most absolutely stoked and excited about for the future after post post COVID a a ac after COVID? uh for me it's the uh the young maori leaders who are just putting their hands up and are going to crush uh new ways and leadership uh in our communities and these very capable you know it's it's intergenerational thing you know so i'm on the old end of that kind of cycle but you know some of these uh, mid-30s kind of fellas who've got you know good investment experience have actually been tech entrepreneurs themselves uh that seeing them understanding their passion understanding their purpose their vision uh and the ability to to wrap around them to create scale for change in Māoridom uh, using tech is, is the thing that really excites me. So really getting in behind these younger leaders. Yeah, it's, I get it. Sav, what up, Rebecca? Can't wait to be back in New Zealand either. Love you guys. So cool. <laughs> um, dude, I appreciate your time, man. I know you've um, got a whole bunch of shit going on and your fingers on lots of pies so i'm sure you're keeping keeping well and busy and i um i really appreciate you took the time to have a yarn bro it's um yeah really oh. big and stoked to have you in the mix oh look i'm, I'm really uh feel it's a real privilege to talk to you because you're uh you got that uncanny ability to be able to pull out ideas that i struggled to put on paper <laughs> shot brother i love your work man um say hi to the crew and i'll see you soon eh? will do thank you bro Shop brother. See you, bro. He's a good bastard, isn't he? He's a good bastard. Barry Suits. Um, yeah, man. There's this like gnarly T3W text chain. It's just got like every heavy hitter and like Maori tech on it. And I might not, and I just like, I sit there and I just watch it. And I just don't even like, I don't, I can't even mess with it because I'm, I, you know, you're the Grom, you're the young buck. You don't want to like step up out of your space in terms of culture and stuff as well. So yeah, maybe, yeah, I, I mess with Baz. He's good. Um, Good flipping big day team. We've had scientists, we've had marketers, we've had the bro bears. Um, 
Mm, lots on. And now, um, because I've been doing this, I am happily, happily about to get back to, um, or I don't know if happily, I don't know if it's depressing or stoked or not, but you got to understand, when I've been doing these for fun and helping everyone else out there, I have this growing stack of gnarly emails of all this other shit, which I also have to do. So I'm just like batch loading these to get this all out to all the crew. And then I've just got this flipping gnarly shit ton of like after work. Ben, I'm kind of thinking of it now because obviously I'm in San Fran at the moment. We're five hours ahead. So what's actually happening is basically in the morning, I get till two o'clock New Zealand time, or American time in, on, on the States to basically have a full day of like knockout work stuff. And then I'm going into a second day. So at the moment, my, my days, they feel like kind of double double days to be fair. Um, but it's been definitely worth it and very stoked that we've had a bunch of amazing guests and thinking and, and, and ideas and stuff as well. And for those, a lot of people have been asking as well, um, you can actually just uh, get all of these interviews all of them, they're now on either Apple, um, iTunes, or in the podcast, or Spotify as well. So you can just go up there, find them, uh, search away, just search under repair, and you'll be good to go. So it's been something that a lot of people are asking for. We've done that. There's a bunch in there for you as well. So enjoy the rest of the day, team, and I'll see you all soon. Adios. Big day. Big brains. Oh, jeez.